Coming up next on the Whiskey Flick Shopping Network, we've got some incredible collectibles headed your way. First up, we've got an amazing baseball signed by none other than Babe Ruth. Oh, Scotty, the baseball. Or we're playing behind the studio to test it out and lost it over the fence. You took a baseball that we were selling that was signed by Babe Ruth and you actually played with it? You keep telling me that, but who is she? The Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash, the Colossus of Clout, Babe Ruth, the Great Bambino. Oh my God, you mean that's the same guy? You're killing me, Smalls. On today's Whiskey Flick, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Grab a glass and your glove. It's time to play ball at the Sandlot. to Whiskey Flick. I am your host, Terrence Dunn, ready to dive into today's awesome flick with some great whiskey. I'm very excited to be joined by a special guest who's on to help us close out our month on the baseball diamond, a hilarious friend of the show, and just a general all-around awesome dude, Mark Marshall. Mark, welcome officially to Whiskey Flick. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Terrence. This is awesome. I'm a big fan and I'm just super glad to be here. The minute you brought it up, I'm like, I got to get on this show. So yeah, let's, let's, let's get it on, man. Hell yeah. Well, we're super excited to have you. I know we've been trying to have you on here for a little bit. You were one of the first people that Matt and I thought of when we were thinking about what we wanted to have on the show. So I'm stoked that we were able to uh, get you on for uh, for an awesome movie. Now, Mark, for people who are listening to the show and maybe don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, so I studied film at the great institution of UC Santa Barbara. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I studied film in maybe a parallel universe out there. Hopefully I'm a director um, and I have several Oscars under my belt. Mm, didn't work out, so now I'm, I moonlight as a humble government official, but by night, I'm an amateur stand-up comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Just a lover of talking and, and really diving into uh, films. Well, awesome. I love the shout-out to Santa Barbara. It's one of my favorite places. You shout-out amateur stand-up comedian. I have seen your stand-up, sir, and it is certainly beyond amateur. You are quite a funny dude on the stage <laughs> and off, so gotta give some love there. Thank you. You know what? It's uh, you gotta be, you gotta be quick. It's just one of those things where you just dive right in, and it got me to kind of combine a lot of, you know, I was an actor, did some school plays, you know, a lot of minor stuff. But there is nothing like stand up. It is just an incredible. And I have to keep plugging stand up, stand up, stand up, because I will probably make stand up references during this. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, hopefully, I'm hopefully I'm funny. <laughs> Stand-up seems like something that is both awesome and terrifying, at least for, from, from my perspective. It's just something that seems like that seems really cool and like, fuck that, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> the, the fear is the thrill. 
Absolutely. So it's like skydiving, bungee jumping, roller coasters, all that other kind of stuff. The butterflies is what gets you going. Oh yeah. First stand-up quote, Jerry Seinfeld, most people are afraid of public speaking. That means over death. So that means they would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. That was <laughs> like, wow. Well, awesome. Well, Mark, before we really get into it, obviously with this being your first appearance on Whiskey Flick, it's become kind of a rite of passage for folks. We're really interested to know because we always want listeners to kind of understand the tastes of the people that they're going to hear from on the show for the first time. So give us the rundown. What would you say are your all-time top five favorite movies? I thought long and hard about this. Of course, this film, Sandlot, is going to be in my top five. Number one, without a doubt, I watch every year on my birthday um, is Gladiator. I love, I love the epic. I love, and I'm also a history major. So that was huge. I mean, of course they took a lot of historical license, but Roman empire is, has always been fascinating to me. Um, but running down the list, Gladiator, Shawshank Redemption, phenomenal film, Glory, Glory is a uh, civil war. One of the, I, I just say, best acted movies of all time, I think. Insane. Actually, all three of those movies that you've shouted at, well, uh, all, well, The Sandlot, maybe not so much because the kids are all unknowns, but the other three are like ridiculous cast. Yeah, and then, of course, number four, uh, I have to throw in Return of the Jedi. Okay. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's Empire Strikes Back people and Return of the Jedi people, and I am one of the latter. So, yeah, that would be, that would be my top five. I, I like it. And I do like that you have, I mean, cause that's, that's a controversial pick return of the Jedi in your top five. So it's, it seems like acting then is, is really big for you when it comes to movies. It seems like casts and strong performances are kind of a big draw for you then. The acting, of course, you know, the cinematography and, you know, the music, how sound engineers and composers, they really create a story where you can place the scene with the music. So they're really telling the story through the music as much as through the visuals. But for me, it's really the emotional attachment. I quote a gladiator at my wedding. That's awesome. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Like, So some context on that, like at what point in the wedding did you quote gladiator? <laughs> Uh, so we were, it was actually the welcome speech, you know, after our first dance, I would also tell you, you know, the, the first dance, the give, the take, the stepping on toes, the restructuring, the bargaining, that is, the, that is a great metaphor for, for me. Erica, unfortunately gives me the mic first and I, it was my time to shine. And I said, you know, are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Crowd erupts. For the most part, I was silent. <laughs> but I had to, I got my plug in. Uh, oh, yeah, well, that's good. Well, thanks again for giving us the rundown on your top five. Before we get into today's movie and start getting into the details, we got to talk about what we're sipping on today. It is Whiskey Flick. So obviously, before we get into the flick, let's talk about the whiskey. So Mark is our guest. What are you sipping on this week? I am sipping on Cuddy Sark blended scotch whiskey. How do you take it straight? Do you do it on the rocks? Do you... you know what? Usually I'll do it. I'll do it neat, but I've added a little bit of ice because, you know, hydration. <laughs> what are you doing? on? Little Knob Creek nine year with some, uh, a very small amount of ginger. <laughs> Babe Ruth raised his arm and pointed to the center field bleachers. No one believed it because nobody had ever done it before, but the Babe was calling his shot. On the next pitch, the great Bambino hit a towering 400-foot home run. And even although he'd been a hero before that, that's pretty much how he became a legend. 30 years later, a kid named Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez became a neighborhood legend. It was in the greatest summer of my life 
when he taught me how to play baseball and he became my best friend. We're wrapping up the month of April and our celebration of the return of baseball with one of my and your all-time favorite baseball movies growing up and today, which is 1993's The Sandlot. On last week's show, we did get a chance uh, between Matt, Nate, and myself to draft our top five all-time baseball favorites. And obviously The Sandlot was pretty high up there for me. I actually drafted it second uh, on the list. Now, Mark, you weren't with us last week to be able to participate in the draft, but we do gotta know, what are your top five all-time baseball movies? specifically there's the rookie field of dreams you got it of course you got it sandlot 42 great movie but it's like uh heavy and you'll notice the trend you know all kid related angels in the outfield danny glover you know really acting outside of his role as a disgruntled authority figure you know (laughs) (laughs) he's still too old for this shit (laughs) (laughs) when were you young for this shit bro do we have any recordings of danny glover like i i'm pretty sure he's put to the lab just too old for this shit um yeah that that would be um that's what i'm coming in at nice i like it i like your style i like your style definitely like kid-centric baseball movies i don't know there's something like burned into your brain about them as just being kind of like associated with your childhood and and all the things this movie that we're going to talk about does really well with nostalgia and warm kind of rose-colored feels. Yeah, from Phil the Dreams to like The Sandlot to like, you know, 42, it's like, I think the biggest thing is they all have a little bit more to do than just baseball. I'll be, uh, I'm going to come clean, Terrence. Like, you can always get me to play a sport way more than you can get me to watch it. Baseball, as as far as the game goes, oh my God, I love the game. Kind of like the 30 for 30s atmosphere behind the sport that always intrigues me. I think it's translated onto film. I would agree for sure. Well, let's dive into some specifics then around this particular whiskey flick and start uh, unpacking this cornerstone of our collective childhoods. Um, Let's talk about a few fast facts for this week's whiskey flick. So The Sandlot was released in April 1993. It was released at the time by 20th Century Fox, which means it's now owned by Disney. Weirdly enough, that kind of works because it's constructed a lot like a Disney movie where you've got some interesting parental relationships. The kids are kind of like latchkey running off doing stuff on their own. A lot, lot of Disney vibes for a a non-Disney movie. The movie was incredibly popular. It only cost $7 million to make, again, mostly because the cast was unknown. It made $34 million in theaters. However, much like most kids' movies, it saw the majority of its growth, especially in the 90s, on home video. The current estimates say that it made around $76 million in VHS and DVD sales in the 90s and early 2000s. A few other kind of interesting facts about the movie. The filmmakers were actually sued for defamation by a former classmate of the writer-director of the film, David Mickey Evans. His name was very similar to the name of the Squints character. For obvious reasons, if you've seen the movie, Squints is a kind of a creep, particularly in the in the latter half of the movie. Actually, two scenes, he's kind of a creep, both of them involving Wendy Peppercorn. We'll, we'll get to it. So I could see why he'd be interested kind of dismissing that. And it does kind of speak to the semi-autobiographical nature of the film. The movie actually had mixed reviews on release. Um, specifically, the biggest criticism that seemed to be levied its way from a negative standpoint uh, was some people thought it was a little too nostalgia for nostalgia's And then, of course, let's talk about the people. So a few crew members to shout out. Again, we already shouted out David Mickey Evans who was the co-writer, the director, the uncredited narrator of the film as well. It's loosely based on his childhood. And the dude is mostly known for doing a ton of kids movies. Shortly after The Sandlot, he did the film First Kid. He directed a few Beethoven sequels. He did the Ace Ventura Jr. movie. He also did, of course, The Sandlot sequels. So he's very kind of tightly associated with this franchise. The only other one that I thought was noteworthy to shout out from a crew perspective was Anthony Richmond, who was the cinematographer. I love the look of the film, the way that it's classically cinematically 
shot. It's got this very nice look to the sort of vintage nostalgia of it. I also thought it was incredibly fascinating that he has this one kid's film on his resume in the middle of a slew of horror movies. Right before this, he did the original Candyman. Right after this, he did Tales from the Hood. Most of his resume is horror movies, so it was really noteworthy that just The Sandlot was dropped in the middle of no shade to those movies. I fucking love Candyman. I love Tales from the Hood. Last but not least, we got to talk a little bit about the cast, and I actually broke this down into two groups. Normally, we just kind of talk about the cast as a whole, but it feels a little disingenuous given that the supporting cast is so well-known, and the kids were all unknown. So from the kids' perspective, we had Tom Geary, who played Scotty Smalls. This was his first role, and he's actually done a ton of stuff, um, both as a child actor, he was in Lassie, uh, and then as an adult, he was in uh, Black Hawk Down, Mystic River, U571. Seems to do a lot of TV procedural dramas. He's got a bunch of CSIs and Law and Orders under his credits. We had Mike Vitar, played Benny the Jet. This was one of his earlier roles. He did a bunch of Disney movies after, including the last two Mighty Ducks movies. Probably the most still recognizable because he still very much looks the same in a lot of ways is Patrick Renna, who played Ham. This was his first film. He also did a bunch of Disney stuff after this. He did The Big Green. He did Recess. He does a lot of smaller roles even still to this day. He's super active on social media. And then the last one we shouted out was Chauncey Leopardy, who played Squints, who also was in a ton of stuff. Father of the Bride, Casper. He also was in The Big Green with Patrick Renna. And then he was on the show Freaks and Geeks, which I, I haven't watched in years. Now I want to go back and watch it because I don't remember who he played on Freaks and Geeks. Now let's talk about the big name, the supporting cast. So first of all, you got Karen Allen, who plays uh, Scotty's mom, Mrs. Smalls. And you know her from <laughs> so many 80s things. She was in Animal House. She was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. She was in Scrooge. I mean, very, very well known prior to this movie coming out. You have Dennis Leary, who played Bill, who's Scotty Small's stepdad. This was kind of the start of the crest of the wave for him because uh, right after he did this movie, all of his really big stand-up specials came out. He had a bunch of supporting roles in the 90s. He was in Demolition Man. He was in The Ref. Uh, and then obviously now he's probably most known, if not for his stand-up, then for his time creating. He starred in, and I think he also directed Rescue Me or several episodes of Rescue Me. James Earl Jones, who played Mr. Myrtle. I mean, come on, we all know who James Earl Jones is. He was most known at this point as the voice of Darth Vader. <laughs> So we definitely all know James Earl Jones. Apparently, by the way, the kids thought it was the coolest thing when he was on set because they're like, holy shit, it's Darth Vader. Uh, and obviously he's done a lot of baseball movies. He was also uh, very prominently in the film Field of Dreams. And then last but not least, we got to shout out Art LaFleur, uh, who portrayed the babe. He's done a ton of sports movies. He was in uh, also Field of Dreams, Mr. Baseball, The Replacements. So before we get into our impressions and dive into our personal details around the film, Mark, any thoughts on the crew, the cast, or anything else kind of around the, the structure of the film. As far as the cast goes, Vitar, you know, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. I mean, if there was a kiddo I was ever jealous of, quits acting after he's, you know, becomes the crush of every, like, you know, young female in, in America in 1993 and grows up to become a Los Angeles County firefighter. I'm like, you know, that is just gasoline. I'm like, he must be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> It is really funny, yeah, that that these kids are so supported by such a incredibly decorated cast. It is very nostalgic and it's very rosy, but there's a reason it's in my top five. I don't think there's a slouch in this film. What a great slice of American cinema. I agree. And I, I love that you called out the nostalgia factor related to the cast because I think that's one of the reasons why it works is because these kids are all unknown and they're so natural and they're so good. Because like there's some kids movies that when you go back and watch them, they don't really hold up because the kids are kind of hamming it up or, you, you know, like, you, yeah, you, you could tell it's like, well... 
it's a kid's movie, so they're not really, you know, what are kids really going to say about it? But, I mean, the, the kids carry the movie. Like, I mean, these are leading performances from these kids, and they're fucking good. How do I catch it? Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. Talk a little bit about your your experience with the movie, right? What were some of your initial impressions, things like that? You know, growing up on the mean streets of La Mirada, um, <laughs> you know, for people who don't know it, it is an, it, it is, it's a great town. Every town says All-American. My initial impression watching The Sandlot, which I watched probably three times in theaters because I was just rabid for this movie as a young kid, was basically, wow, somebody made a movie about my friends. This is awesome. Hilarious, extremely quotable. Watching it again, I realized a couple of things. The 90s was also the rise of the kid movie. Second stand-up reference, like John Mulaney said, like, I was around when kids started becoming important. 70s, uh, 80s, uh, you know, like there's kid supporting characters, but kid-centric movies, it was all the 90s and it was a phenomenal time to grow up. What I really, really love about this movie is that it celebrates boyhood in, in, a, in a way that very few, I mean, yeah, there's kids movies, but this celebrates boyhood in a different way than a lot of other movies. I'd say maybe, you know, you have the Goonies, you have Hook. Yeah, it was watching me and my friends play baseball and getting in trouble. And like, you know, his mom said, you know, skin your knees. And also the kind of, uh, I guess, social capital that Benny had to bring in Scott's character and say, hey, let him play. The 90s was all about, you look at films like The Mighty Ducks and just like, we're eclectic and we're weird and that's cool and being yourself is great. And then here comes the opposing team who are like kind of weirdly Aryan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like, you know, and we don't like that. We don't like the same. We like, we like different. You know, growing up in La Mirada was a phenomenal childhood. You know, I got to play with a lot of neighborhood kids. We went to school together. We grew up together. This was not just a kids movie, not just a celebration of, I'd say, boyhood, but it was also like a celebration of just suburban summer. It just crossed so many sections for me. The film is set in the San Fernando Valley. So I'll even take it a step further and say one of the things that I identified with was not only that sort of suburban summer, it does have this very Southern California suburbs feel to it. There's the one kind of vignette where it's so hot and they're like, what, what is it? Ham's talking about like the drinks do nothing. You know, it's Southern California in July and we're sweating and it's hot and we're still out on the ball field having a good time. I 100% identify with that. I watched the hell out of this movie. I don't know how many times I saw it in theaters, but I definitely know that I owned it on home video. I remember I had this in one of those little plastic clamshells uh, and we would just play the hell out of this, out of this VHS tape watching this movie. I also loved it and wanted to kind of echo your point around, yeah, the way that the characters kind of shifted here a little bit because we did have the early birth of this version of kids movies in like the mid 80s, like movies started to get a little more kid centric with, you know, like the, the Goonies and stuff like that, which you shouted out. But I think that was really just the beginning of it. I think it's fascinating that once you get to movies like the Sandlot and the Mighty Ducks, especially the fact that these are really sports centric movies. I love that you do have the 
these lead characters that are very good at what they do, right? They're very skilled, they're very popular, but also they like make it a point to be inclusive. Like they want everybody to play. The team is made up of different people from different backgrounds with different experiences. And I think that that's a really cool thing to showcase, right? Because I'm sure most of us have had that experience of not being welcomed into a group or not being picked first to play on the baseball team and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's a little idealistic, but at the same time, that's an archetype that at least as a kid, I really, really, really appreciate it. I think the only other thing I'll shout out, I always was really intrigued by, and even still on a rewatch, the relationship between Scotty and his stepdad, Bill. Um, obviously, Scotty lost his father uh, who passed away right prior to the events of the film. I grew up as a child of divorce. And so I, 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 in a lot of ways, related to that experience of, you know, a young kid getting to know kind of someone who hasn't been there your whole life and trying to navigate that um, no matter how good it is, it's always a challenging relationship because there's just a lot of interesting things that happen within that dynamic. And so the family dynamics speak to me. <laughs> All of the adult interactions are kind of legendary. Like, and they have that line, you know, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. All of the adult interactions outside of, well, the one person who loves you the most, your mom, inaccessible, like, you know, you have Wendy Peppercorn, inaccessible, like Bill, kind of this like aloof, inaccessible character, like that epicness, that legendariness of, it's wonder, but it's also like unknown apprehension. It just captured that. Like, how do I, how do I talk to my stepdad? How do I talk to this? beautiful girl as great as legends can be legends in our head are, are like are built up way more because the movie obviously is like dripping with nostalgia like the whole thing yeah. is just I, I mean between the music and the look these references to babe ruth and all these kind of like iconic players of the game the whole thing is just couched in almost an aggressive amount of nostalgia but i like the fact that to your point the film is constructed almost like a legend or a tall tale or like the way you envision life moments being remembered right so like on the one hand it encapsulates all these life moments that that like most of us can relate to or have personally experienced. But I love the way that it plays with the way we remember things. Like yeah. we always want to remember things in a very positive and like very uplifting way, but also we remember things in pieces. When you watch this movie, you know that it takes place across a summer, but there's no real sense of time throughout the whole thing. Like was this yesterday? Was this two weeks ago? We don't really know. And that it's kind of funny that that's the way how memory works, right? You don't necessarily remember exactly when these things took place and you don't necessarily remember every single moment yeah. with your mom or with your stepdad or with your friends, but you remember those cornerstones, right? Those legendary moments, those big, larger than life things. And I like the way that they made that the structure of the film in like a really subtle way. I thought that was kind of cool. Isn't that, you know, the essence of being a kid is that you have no other frame of reference. This is as awesome as life is going to get. Yeah, you can remember like the good, the bad and the ugly. I will never live this down or this is the greatest moment of my life. There's kind of no in between. And I love that. There's this really, it's almost the opposite of what we talked about with Bull Durham, whereas there is this noteworthy lack of the mundane. Like there's nothing in this movie that is like pedestrian or boring. Like every event is significant or memorable in some way. Even if it's not like a major plot point of the film, it feels like the kind of thing that would have been a big memory in a kid's life. There's none of the like, you know, we're walking to the, you know, to the school bus for the final day of 
of school or, you know, we're shuffling off to go shag baseballs in the outfield. Like all the boring stuff is gone and everything that's left is the things that you would remember 10, 20, 30 years down the road. I, I think the best example of that in the in the context of the film is that carnival scene, which is hilarious, right? They, they cram all the chewing tobacco in and they're chewing it and they get on the big spinning wheel ride and they throw up all over the place. You get tequila playing in the soundtrack. Like it's just, it's fucking hilarious, right? And it's a great scene in and of itself. Chaw! I was saving it for a good time. What is it? Big Chief. The best. She's small. I suppose you don't even know who the babe is either. <laughs> <laughs> it's plug. What? Chewing tobacco? Backy, man. What do you do with it? You're killing me, Smalls! But when you think about it in the context of the film, it's sort of like, how did we end up here? Like, how did we get from the previous scene to now they're just like hanging out at a carnival? And the reason why is because that was the next significant event. We're just kids being kids. And the next big thing we remember is being a bunch of dumbasses and stuffing our face with chewing tobacco and barfing all over poor carnival goers. <laughs> it's making you relive childhood memories in this really fascinating way. Like that endless summer as a kid, you have no job, you're not waiting for the next paycheck, no responsibility, school's out. Yeah, a great summer, like seemed like forever. And the way that the film captures that, there's not even a mention of like, yeah, I remember it was a Monday and like- The only thing that really pins any kind of time frame to it is the 4th of July, cause that's the one night game they play all year. And it's perfectly sandwiched in the middle of the movie, right? I think, I think it's almost dead center in the runtime of the movie, which would make it the dead center of summer. That endless summer, you get that like slowdown that's like stretched timeline throughout it. And then all of a sudden it's compressed as people grow up and they leave the sand lot, right? Like you get this really quick epilogue of so-and-so went here and then so-and-so went here and they're like disappearing from the baseball field. It's nostalgic. It's kind of sad. Like, you're, you know, people grow up and, and go in different directions. But the way that it spends 90 to 95% of its runtime on this endless summer and then all of a sudden fast forward and it's, you know, 15 years in the future and you've got Benny the Jet with the steel home for the Dodgers. It's this very interesting sense of time that just made me think of, I don't know, just how I remember stuff. I can never remember the exact time. Sometimes I I can't even remember the exact place or date, but you remember the things. It is so rare, yeah, that boyhood is celebrated because it's always boys transitioning to men. Looking back now, I'm just like, wow, dude, they had like, those fireworks are definitely legal. Like <laughs> In LA for sure. Yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> walk into this random stranger's house, you know, after we knock down his fence. I'm like, ah! It was just um, that risk-taking boy nature. It was unapologetic and I love that. And yeah, you're right. The, the movie does kind of revel in its boyhood. I think the only kids in the movie that really get growth arcs or like growing up arcs would be Scotty and Benny. They're really the only ones who evolve their characters in any sense. And they're still very much kids, but they're also the only ones that we see as adults by the end of the movie too but i think they're the only ones that really get any kind of growing up arc to their story the growth in the relationship between scotty and bill on on the one hand for him and then for benny the way that he steps up to the plate after his dream with babe ruth's ghost i hate as it's coming out of my mouth to say it but it's just like it's not about the end it's about the journey <laughs> <laughs> um, that is not the whiskey that is me choking on my own sink. <laughs>
Um, Benny the Jet became this amazing, you know, professional player, and Scotty became an amazing commentator. It's not that we don't care. It's just like it was about everything that came before. In fact, the fact that Benny became a professional baseball player is almost like a given or like pedestrian in the whole process. Like, of course, he became a professional baseball player. Like, the kid was good from the jump. Scotty becoming a commentator, I think that's maybe part of his growth journey because, like, the dude didn't even know who Babe Ruth was. Yeah. <laughs> and then, obviously, by the end of the movie, he's become like full circle into embracing baseball and, and everything about baseball. Other than those that we've kind of already talked about, are there any other big scenes or anything else about the film that really is, I don't know, memorable to you or important or stands out? For people who don't know and can't see my face, I look like the guy who um, pitches the heater. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it's the valley. It's supposed to be kind of set in California. I did live in the valley for a little bit. Watching it now and not as a kid, it was just like, this must be some incredible post-racial 1950. Um, <laughs> there's, because even when I was doing the rewatch and thinking about the Sandlot, I'm like, did uh, James Earl Jones ever mention like the Negro Leagues? Like, and he never does it. No, he talks about his time with the babe. That's it. You knew Babe Ruth? George? I sure did, and he knew me. He was almost as great a hitter as I was. I would have broken his record too, but... You went blind. Yep. I used to crowd the plate so that strike zone almost disappeared. Pitchers hate that. That's the way I played, 100% all the time. Baseball was life, and I was good at it, real good. That, and I mean, you know, definitely, you know, was not integrated and you don't know that as a kid. I'm just like, I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, oh my God, 1950s Southern California. And like, this kid is in the pool. He's in the pool. Uh, not to get too like political or social about it, but you know, I had a very multi-ethnic um, community that I grew up with and it was awesome. Uh, and looking back now with the lens of an adult, you're like, mm, was that was like, <laughs> we kind of glaze over some things um, there. You know what? But I would not change a thing about this movie because the beautiful thing about sports is just like if you're good you can play and that's all it was it wasn't like this kid is that you know you see it in mighty ducks you see it in little giants we don't want the kids who all look alike and are all the same and are who are just naturally gifted we want the kids who are gonna try especially for me growing up being one of the few like black kids in my neighborhood just so impactful that he was just a character just another kid and uh that's another layer of what i love about this movie and the Americana. If we're going to launch something in the space about like aliens, we want you to know who America is. Sandlot's got to be there. It is a distinctly American movie, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, I know you already shouted out the Ray Charles song, but it is a very American childhood experience kind of movie. I, I think you you hit on some really interesting points about, and full disclosure, like, we've, I think, had this conversation now a few times on this podcast about movies from this era, right? And so we always like to couch the sort of, the, the way that we think about the history of race in this country, right? From a 2022 lens versus a 1993 lens versus a 1962 lens when the movie came out. For whatever this movie does questionably from a historical accuracy perspective, I think it does right by its actual time of release. Like, in other words, that may have not been what things were like or what we would have even envisioned them to be like in 1962, but in our idyllic view of the mid-90s, that was what we would hope things would be like. That would have been a thing in 62, but not necessarily 30 years later in 92. Um, obviously, call out the year 1992 in Los Angeles, that's going to evoke all kinds 
kinds of things uh, <laughs> relate. Re was there anything going on? Yeah, was there anything <laughs> happening in history that year? Uh, there's certainly some interesting things to contemplate within that. And I mean, it's a kid's movie, right? Like it's not going to necessarily get into all of those pieces. But I do think that there is a contemporary idealism that maybe feeds into it that makes me okay with the historical revisionism, I guess. As you were speaking on this, you know, just like Babe Ruth, you know, huge figure, like the iconic line, heroes get remembered, legends never die. You know, you don't want to think about your heroes not embracing everybody equally. Like in the movie, it was just like, oh, he knew me and I knew him, you know, it's just like, yeah, and we're going to leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> we want Babe Ruth to remain legendary like Bridgerton um, on Netflix, as far as a reference goes for like kind of this post-racial like Victorian era. It's interesting to think about when even now where we have to definitely be sensitive and cognizant of how different people through history have been marginalized or, you know, talked down to, you know, and kind of adjust our tone in that aspect. It's also nice to think about hmm, where would we have been if that wasn't the case? Uh, like you said, we wouldn't have wanted this to be a problem in 1993, you know? So why make it a problem in the movie yeah obviously we grew up with it it was a rise the 90s i don't think could ever be duplicated as far as kids go come on man just super soakers alone uh, <laughs> you sure. know the overall push of the 90s was hey you know what's really cool being yourself number one and also hey include everybody and i think that's an awesome thing so uh would not change the sandlot at all this is going to sound kind of cheesy. I don't mean it to, but like, it's almost like this, you got to start somewhere kind of thing. Yeah. And so, and, and especially, especially for a kid's movie, like, you know, do I wish they had done a better job of incorporating like stories about the Negro leagues? Uh, I mean, like fucking Jackie Robinson is, uh, is a picture on his wall at the end of the movie. And yet they don't really spend any time talking about fucking Jackie Robinson, who was an incredible baseball player. You take Hank um, Aaron. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yo all of that's i mean literally it's 62 maury wills like there's just so many opportunities to, to have these different conversations to your point of showing this neighborhood that's integrated where everybody can have the opportunity to play the game where skill trumps all right like this this idea that you know it doesn't really matter like put on your hat and grab your bat and glove and and, and let's all come together and go play at the sandlot like you know kind of a utopic concept our lead character is latino the supreme like aryan kids who come up you know we're with the base Baseball I mean, he says verbatim, you know, like, except for Rodriguez, you're all a disgrace to the game. It was about you. That's a choice that they didn't have to make either. You know, he's incredibly inclusive and wants people to succeed and enjoy the sport. I'm just going to get emotional here. That Ray Charles version of America the Beautiful, it always hits me. It always hits me. And I think because of that underlying feeling of being a kid again, and it was just about one thing. Can you play? Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I do have to hijack and ask you a question, though. <laughs> we're, long, we're along the line of social. What are we thinking about you play ball? So I, I, I have some interesting thoughts on this and I, I struggle with a lot of this stuff. Like as I revisit some of these movies, right. And it's not even just like a 2022, like sociopolitical, whatever, like we're all just older and wiser. 
right? Like yeah. you, you make your way through life and you learn things. I, I think that you could couch a lot of those comments under childhood ignorance, right? Yeah. Like when I think about that line, right? And obviously having rewatched the movie a bunch of times, you played ball like a girl was like the ultimate insult. I mean, is it on its face problematic? Yes. Am I kind of writing it off a little bit as like boys will be boys? A little bit. I, I don't think it gives them a pass, but at the same time, like I think about, I never personally uttered that phrase, but I think about it's an accurate representation of what kids would say. I, I think that's ultimately where I land on it. It's not great. I hope kids today would stop fucking saying it because it's it's immature. We'll take you on right here, right now. Come on. Plan of real diamond porter. You ain't good enough to lick the dirt off our cleats. Watch it, jerk. Shut up, idiot. Moron. Scab eater. Butt sniffer. Puss licker. Fart smeller. <laughs> you eat dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mixed your weeds with your mama's toe jam. Yeah! You bob for apples in the toilet, and you like it. You play ball like a girl. Pee drinking crap face, unfazed, bro. <laughs> unfazed. You play ball like a girl, and they cut to like the one guy, like, yo, that was uncalled for, man. Like, <laughs> it's even framed in the film as a mic drop moment. You play ball like a girl. And everybody's like, whoa, like that's like the absolute worst thing you could have possibly said. Kids today, they are probably saying that on baseball fields, again, because they don't know any better. That doesn't make it okay. I would hope that nowadays there's more girls playing on the sandlot, but at the end of the day, it felt very accurate to my childhood experiences. And mine as well, and I'd be lying if I said like those insults were not thrown by myself and by other people. Just to echo everything you said, I think you really just nailed it. Is that really these kids are their kids and along with that celebration of boyhood is also the ignorance of boyhood which makes for some hilarious situations but also some cringe <laughs> you know like why like why did you say that well like you know because i'm stupid like you know <laughs> like, because because there's no redemption to that line in the movie there's no girl who comes back and like just smokes them all there's like zero redemption and just like all them also swearing off the chewing tobacco. Man, we were dumb. So you take that line out of its context of, man, these kids are dumb, just like you said. I think you're gonna have an unauthentic film. It's definitely like they almost need to like fail forward, right? We can kind of infer it. The film never gets us there. I'll also argue when we talk about it, it never gets us there with the problematic squints, Wendy Peppercorn relationship. They got nine kids, obviously he thinks I leave women, so. so. <laughs> You know, the 90s was not just kids' movies, but kids' programming of let's be inclusive. You have the Planeteers, and you have the Power Rangers, and you have the Recess, and you have the Magic School Bus, and it's just like, this is what we want to see. But I can tell you, growing up in even a, a very, you know, multi-ethnic community, you know, like, I definitely faced racism and definitely faced struggles. But I, I just look at this film, it's really a celebration of, I guess, the American ideal, the suburban, just adventurous child. Childhood. 
I mean, let's be honest. We've talked a ton now about how this movie deals in memory and how this movie deals in nostalgia. Is memory ever not utopic? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, there's obviously going to be big, bad things that are going to stand out to you as you look back from a historical perspective. But for the most part, I think we all have a tendency to look at the past with rose-colored glasses. We all want to remember the people that we grew up with as being awesome and our parents were amazing and our childhood was special and, like, we want to have all of these really positive recollections of the past. Are they accurate? Fuck no. You, you know, again, like what delusions are you experiencing? But again, I'm just so fascinated with the role of memory in this movie. You're kind of remembering the best version of it or the best parts of it. And I, I, I think that that's intentional. Are there any other kind of big scenes, big lines, anything else you really wanted to call out? A little something for the audience. I had 10 years in animal control. Don't ever jump into somebody's backyard. Um, <laughs> I don't care if you have PF flyers on. Please don't do that. Also, too, so the beast, oh, I'm going to throw a little shade. Yes, the cops are still afraid of dogs. They were back then. They were now. <laughs> they were in my time. And they always will. Shout out to law enforcement. Not a hater. Just, but you know who you are. <laughs> This is a very personal anecdote. Actually, the beast, as far as the breed goes, is like an English Mastiff. And they're actually probably some of the worst guard dogs. They're incredibly sweet. Usually, my friend Howard adopted one. Her name's Madison. She's about 215 pounds. And she is, I mean, like a kitten could probably knock her over. Just the mythos of being a child, how they use the intentionally crappy, not even animatronics, like puppet, like to make the beast. It just made it that much better. And the embellishment of the story and just that is the one thing that translate from boyhood to manhood the embellishment of stories you know oh my god he ate a kid like the beast you know the, he was he was never seen again like that type of thing it's just it's very indicative of the the mo of this whole movie of playing with your notions of memory this crazy monster that lived in his backyard but yeah that's that's my takeaway mastiffs are usually pretty sweet don't jump into people's backyards and yeah men will always embellish size definitely <laughs> <laughs> Smalls, you mean to tell me that you went home and swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth and you brought it out here and actually played with it and actually played with it? Yeah, yeah, but I was going to bring it back. But it was signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah, 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 you keep telling me that. Who is she? What? The Sultan of Swat. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Clout. Babe Ruth! The Great Bambino! God, you mean that's the same guy? Yes! The Wendy Peppercorn stuff, so let's talk about it. Um, I think that this might be the only true issue that I have with the movie. And I'm going to break it down and then I'm going to kind of get, I'm going to ask you for what your take is. So first of all, throughout the film, this Wendy Peppercorn character is definitely put up on a pedestal, right? Like the first time you see her, it's Squint's got googly eyes for her. She's appearing in slow-mo. You can clearly tell that Squint's is infatuated with her early on. And then really shortly after we get to the pool sequence, the pool sequence starts off a little creepy but like kind of harmlessly creepy right you've got ham who's kind of walking along his way to the pool and he's kind of saying what's up to like hey what's up ladies and kind of doing that thing and it's like that's creepy but it's like harmless kid creepy like you're fine like it's just that's the kind of thing kids do he thinks he's being suave obviously the biggest thing in that sequence is squint's grandmaster plan to <laughs> to intentionally intentionally drown himself for the chance to to receive cpr slash make out with you know, this girl he's infatuated 
graduated with Wendy Peppercorn. My biggest problem with the scene, I'll just get right to it. So I got to shout it out here. The, the use of music in that as he kind of initiates the makeout sequence and we get the drop of this magic moment by the drifters is one of the best needle drops in a film ever. Like it's incredibly well executed from a cinematic standpoint. Come on, man, come on. Yeah, yeah, he looks pretty crappy. Squints, come on, man. God, he looks like a dead fish. What? What? This magic moment. <laughs> <laughs> Little pervert! Oh man, he's a deep shit. <laughs> My only beef with this sequence, and I feel like this was even obvious in the 90s when the film came out, that there is a problematic approach to consent here, right? Like he's tricking her into making out with her. That is inherently problematic. It was problematic in 1993. I think the thing that I struggle with, once I get past that, the thing I still struggle with narratively is the fact that she becomes so quickly okay with it is so problematic to me. He makes out with her and she's, oh my God, you pervert. And she starts slapping him. And the kids all get kicked out of the pool immediately and no longer than them rounding the corner for squints to peek back through the chain link fence does he find her kind of smiling back at him like oh gosh silly kids you just fucking got them kicked out of the pool like that doesn't even make narrative sense it was bad enough for you to like escort them out but now you think it's kind of cute and cheeky that he did it is fucking weird to me it feels narratively broken to me it's my only real beef with this film that I can't get over. So I don't know if you have different thoughts on it. He kind of turned into like the Fonzie of his group. He's the bad guy. He's the bad boy, you know? He's got the bravado. He's got the juice, as it will. Just being a boy who has had like a crush on so many older girls. The slow-mo booty shot. Like, you are killing me, Smalls. Like, you know, the lotioning, the oiling. I, I completely understand your perspective of like, maybe if she wasn't, you know, broadcasting it out there, maybe something like that. You know, like, it, it's kind of like this not anti-feminist but yeah cringy and kind of putting it back on wendy peppercorn which is you i mean even then it's just like no 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 however <laughs> that that scene is so great to me because it just shows you the lengths the guy literally could have died of his own institution to be fair <laughs> <laughs> and like that's not just a boy thing that's a man thing it's like man boys are dumb man men are dumb like we will do anything it's lust it's infatuation it's not even love and to to speak to the portion of like all of a sudden she's totally cool with it it's one of those things you ever see something where you're just like man i i would never do that but I gotta appreciate the balls on this character. Like, I think that that was just like the most of like, you know, like the whole movie is about a game and taking risk and being legendary and like conquering the legend. And it's just like, wow, you really went. I think that I think that was the overall message of that film was just like not Wendy Peppercorn being fine with it. I was a legend to you and you went for it. You should have been destroyed. But you know what? It's just like no one can ever take that away from me. And I could either be incredible angry and embarrassed about this or i can recognize game desperate almost kill myself game <laughs> 
really what my last question for you is going to be what you think the film is trying to say or what you think the kind of like big idea of the movie is. So it sounds like you're kind of taking that idea of legends and kind of the legendary nature of these kind of big iconic moments growing up. I think the overall theme of the film is take a chance. I mean, even from start to finish, the film is consistent about that. Like, you know, his stepdad and his mom took a chance moving out there. He took a chance going back to the field. Benny took a chance on him. The film is incredibly consistent about taking a chance. Even if you fail, you know, how many times did they go back to try to get that ball in different ways? I love that because we all get a chance to do, you know, something great. And even if people aren't going to see it and, uh, like I love that line and I this film actually it's it's in my top five because it really shaped the way that I live my life and the way I think I think if you try to go too legendary you probably will die um <laughs> you know there's a limit do not jump into people's backyards yeah take a chance the thematic focus of the film has got to be the Babe Ruth quote right like I mean like why else does it exist it's very very cornerstone in the film this idea of heroes get remembered but legends never die like sort of why be a hero when you could be a legend uh, and that does dovetail so well with everything else we talked about related to this film with nostalgia and how the boys are so obsessed with like the traditions of baseball and everything about it is just attack that iconic moment to your point take chances right because you know if you take a chance and you win you're a legend and i think that that's something that is pervasive throughout the film, whether you're talking about the Wendy Peppercorn stuff, whether you're talking about the obsession with Babe Ruth, whether you're talking about the fact that Benny the Jack grows up to be a Dodger, like everything is about becoming legendary and becoming larger than life throughout the course of life. And so I think all those pieces kind of fit together really nicely with that image of take a shot. Remember kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. But legends never die. Follow your heart, kid. You never go wrong. As we get ready to wrap up our look at the Sandlot, as we always want to do here on Whiskey Flick, we love to have a little bit of fun with the movies. And so the first thing we want to talk about, some of our own Sandlot memories, right? We spent a ton of time talking about how the Sandlot really, really cashes in a lot on this idea of nostalgia and kind of the rose-colored memories of the past. So I'm curious for you, whether it's one specific moment, either for you personally, or maybe like a broader historical era, is there anything that you are particularly nostalgic for? The s'mores, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, like I'm in building construction management and I'm just like, who built a tree house that could house nine boys? That is awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and like, we're also going to leave like nine boys unattended with open flame inside. You know, it was it was a great time to be alive, man. When the, the vacuum cleaners explode in the treehouse, I was thinking about like, where the fuck are these kids' parents? <laughs> <laughs> Barry is just like, dude, like the rolling rules are, there are no rules. I even, to you know, we'll go out and camp and it's just like, first, you know, you get the gram, then you put um, <laughs> the chocolate, then you roast the mala. Like just learning for a kid, like how to combine all this deliciousness into one thing and just enjoy it. That sleepover is always going to be in my head. So I, I would actually love to have a Sandlot theme party. No, I like that. That'd be fun. And like a, like a camping party too. That'd be dope. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
So I'll probably go a little bit later. I think I am probably most nostalgic for my college years. I think it's because a lot of my childhood, there was a lot of turbulence and change. Not that I had a bad childhood or a problematic childhood. There was just a lot of, like I moved a lot as a kid. I mean, obviously my parents got divorced. When I think about college, I think about the fact that I had left a lot of that stuff in the past. I was kind of a fully formed person. And that was really where I made a lot of the like friends and relationships and have a lot of these really positive recollections of times that I would want to revisit without any kind of editorializing. Like that's a time period in my life that I unequivocally remember as fun, at least in my current state of mind when I'm the most nostalgic for it. It's funny because again, I know, I still know all of those people. I still interact with them on a regular basis, but the idea of going back and kind of reliving some of those moments feels like the most tempting to me. My parents also divorced um, and when I was in seventh grade, you know, so yeah, you, God, it is such an awkward time. It is such just a Great like, timing, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> like, really? Like, <laughs> even though maybe wasn't always like rose colored, there was a lot of stability in my very early life. And a lot of that stability was playing sports with the neighborhood kids. Like they made a movie about my friends. This is awesome. That's awesome. So Mark, before we wrap up, the last bit we wanted to have some fun with is in addition to nostalgia, and this kind of actually feeds into nostalgia, is the movie deals a lot in baseball nicknames. All the kids on the team have nicknames and they talk, I mean, God, they they unload like every freaking nickname for Babe Ruth, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash. And so I have a couple of famous player nicknames. Well, some of them are probably more well-known than others. And I'm curious to see if you can guess the player based on their nickname. Are you ready? Okay, shoot. So we're going to start with Big Poppy. Big Poppy, um, Ortiz? Yes, David Ortiz, the Red Sox, yes indeed. Woo. So next up we got Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle, Charlie Hustle. God, um, uh, no. Pete Rose, infamous, in, the infamous bag stealer, hence Charlie Hustle. Oh, okay, okay, no, no, I would not know. I, would, I can't even lie about that. Like, it's the whiskey <laughs> is keeping me honest, man. All right, Hammer and Hank. Oh yeah, Hank Aaron, come on, yeah. Yes. Thank you. All right, Mark. So to bring this in for a landing, any final thoughts on the film? And of course, our rating scale, which is uh, from one to 99 bottles of whiskey on the wall. So uh, where do you land with this movie, The Sandlot? I got to give it 95 bottles of whiskey because even as a kid, I was just like, bro, leave poor Wendy Peppercorn alone, man. Like, you you are right. I am with you on that one. Other than that, dude, this, this film just slaps, bro. They knocked it out of the park i've been waiting all i have been waiting <laughs> incredible slice of americana um suburban life if there's one film i want the aliens to see i'm shooting this up so i'm giving 95. nice i like it i will land on because it reminds me so much of my childhood i'm gonna rate it the year of my birth and give it 82 bottles of whiskey on the wall because it does it, it reminds me a lot of my childhood it's probably a bit if, if we're being like objective it's probably a higher rated film than that but that speaks to me i was born in 1982 we're gonna give it 82 bottles of whiskey for the heavy amounts of nostalgia and the way that this film just constantly reminds me of my childhood before we do land on it we did talk about music a little bit kind of throughout this is there any song that to you is like kind of the big standout iconic for you it's it's the instrumentals they use it at the end title and they also use it when they're you know beating the crap out of those kids that like kind of really big band i don't even know the title of this song but every time i hear it i thought i would go back and watch it and i think oh it would be the tequila or there goes my lady or this magic moment but it's that song even over america the beautiful 
Well, I will take your close second as my first then. <laughs> I, I always write down two songs in case somebody steals the one that I had. So I will absolutely shout out that Ray Charles rendition of America the Beautiful. That, that America the Beautiful is iconic. He's really kind of not even singing it. He's kind of talking it. It's great um, in and of itself, but the editing, the cinematography, it wraps it up. Well, last but not least, Mark, we never have a whiskey flick go by where we don't talk about outside of the movie, what's living in our heads rent-free this week. So is there anything living rent-free in your head this week? Just on the the positive spectrum, one of the movies that I, that Sandlot knocked out that would is definitely in my top 10, but is now getting the phenomenal sequel that we've been waiting for is Top Gun Maverick. So, you know, I feel the need for speed. Let's do this. That's my positive right now. Um, yeah, what about you? Nice. I like it. Well, I'll keep mine short and sweet because obviously since we've been doing pods all about baseball all month, it's 100% occupying my brain power outside of the movie I ranted about last week, which was everything everywhere all at once. So I'll give a shout out to the Dodgers who are having a really hot start to their season. The Dodgers are starting hot, which makes me very happy because obviously the Dodgers are my team. And, and I, that's always just kind of a nice way to start and enjoy the baseball season. So I'm really, really excited about that. Thanks for joining us again for Whiskey Flick. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you like what you hear, throw us a review to help others find the show. We'll be back in your feed with more, including your thoughts on The Sandlot. And as we've been asking for the last couple of weeks, your all-time favorite baseball movies. We've actually gotten voicemails from quite a few people already. So thank you for your calls. This week is your last chance to call in and just rant and rave about your all-time favorite baseball movie. Give us a call on the Whiskey Flick hotline, 818-660-6369. You can also hit us up on social media at Whiskey Flick Pod to join polls or share your tips or you can email us at whiskeyflickpod at gmail.com. Mark, it was a ridiculous pleasure having you on the show. We cannot wait to have you back for folks who want to keep up with you or if they want to see kind of more of what's going on with you and what you're doing. Is there anything that they should follow or check out? Yeah, you can uh, follow me at Brodisius. And, you know, I don't post too often. I'm big into jeeping, um, getting outdoors. We'll be looking for maybe sophisticated ignorance to start by the by the end of this year you know just talk you know as far as couples just talking about issues and different things you know uh other than that i'm here for it terrence it was an honor a pleasure you are a legend i don't know about that the pleasure is all mine for <laughs> sure and i can't i can't wait to see i'm I'm, I'm excited for the pod i look forward to the day that i get that invite to come join y'all because i'm very excited and i can't wait to extend another invite to you to have you back on the show we got to get erica on the show oh, too. Yeah. oh yeah we'd be remiss as we're plugging things if we didn't also give a shout out to our friends tony matt 
Matt and Nate, who rock the 58 West King and Taco Corp podcast. You can find links to both those shows in our show notes to give them a listen. Thanks again for checking out Whiskey Flick. We'll see you next week for more on The Sandlot. Two weeks from now, we've got the moms taking over in May as we celebrate Mother's Day. We're actually not going to reveal the name of the movie as we normally do until next week. So make sure you tune in next week to hear more about our special guest and the movie she's chosen. Until then, keep the whiskey flowing and the flicks going, and we'll see you next week. As long as there is whiskey in the world As long as there is whiskey As long as there is whiskey As long as there is whiskey in the world As soon as it came out of my mouth, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to get roasted. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's going to be the new chick. I was like, oh, God, I'm terrible.